it's always interesting because we take, um, when we read through the Bible, and I know reading the whole book of Second Peter takes us, what, 30 minutes or something like that to do that, <clears throat> and we gain a lot from, from doing that, but there's, there's a time and a place to slow down, back off, to try to understand more fully what each word has to say, because... I'm of the uh, persuasion, I believe the accurate one, that every word is inspired of God. So that means every word is handpicked by the Holy Spirit to go in the sequence that it went into, and it he, he just calls us to explore it. And when we got to the, the part about love, see, we've been through this, and hopefully this is becoming more uh, familiar. And I've been at this a long time. I still have to stop and think all the way through these, just being honest with you. So if you can just snap them off one right after another, I'm happy for you. But applying all diligence, that's where we start. We remember that. That means that he says he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now it's your turn. It's your part. So you have to want this. If you don't want it, it's not going to happen. In the sphere of this diligence, the faith... When it's a definite article put in front of there, frequently it is referring to the object of the faith, and that faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where it starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you decide, hey, I want to know him, I want to know him better, I want to know more about him, then it starts with faith and the right object. And so in the sphere of the faith, add the virtue. The virtue is something that we as human beings should know. There is a right and wrong, and there's some things that that ought to be just automatic to us. You don't steal from your neighbor. Okay? You honor your father and your mother. The very basics of the Ten Commandments, there's only one God. Okay? Not multiple gods, not many gods. There's only one God. And, and so virtue is that which he has said is right and wrong. Romans 1 says that everybody knows that there's some things that are right and wrong. They just... Put them, put them aside from time to time. So put virtue into it, and in the sphere of virtue, then you add knowledge. That you have the knowledge that leads to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you're going to decide, well, the virtue is going to be part of it, and then I want to add knowledge. It's knowledge on knowledge. This is just simple gnosis that it's talking about here. But it is saying... Okay, we're, keep, we're growing, we're growing, and you take this knowledge in, you believe it, it becomes epinosis, and that's what happens. So in the sphere of the knowledge, and then you add the self-control. So it's one thing to know something, it's still another thing to do it. I know that all of us know there are some things we could do that would be more healthy habits than what we partake of. And yet sometimes it's not easy to do those things that we know we should do. So it says add self-control. And if you have trouble with that, go to Galatians 5. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit to have this self-control as a part of who we are. Add perseverance. So while we might get it right once, this is saying keep getting it right. Keep doing it the right thing till till you don't get it wrong. Uh, the perseverance in the sphere of perseverance at godliness. This is an ongoing, growing, and a building respect for God. To revere him well. Eusebia is the word group that is used there. Godliness. And in the sphere of the godliness, then you add brotherly love. And that learning to love other people, love one another. Uh, and 
that's something that uh, a lot of people are hard to love. I know you've run into a couple of them in the course of your life that are just hard to love, but he said, this is what we're supposed to do. Learn to love as Christ loved us. And in the sphere of brotherly love, then add the love, definite article, hey agape, the love. This is the love for God when it's used like this. And we're going to see that used again this morning in Romans 12. But that's what we're supposed to add, and we've also seen these other points already, and we're actually at point F. God's love's unconditional. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He brought God's love in inside of us. So there, there is a resource that we are to tap whenever we say, I don't know how to love and love properly. Now, before we begin, let's just take a moment for silent prayer and uh, uh, prepare ourselves to study the Word of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we're thankful, we're honored, we're blessed, we're privileged to be part of your family, to be called your kids. And Father, uh, we just thank you for that. We know this is a love that surpasses all understanding. And Father, you've called us to return that love. And you've given us the ability to choose and decide whether or not we will. And Father, I pray that as we go through these passages today, we will see more and more the reason and the need behind this, this call for us to love you and to love others with a degree that seeks to match yours. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at point F today. That's where we're starting. Go ahead and turn to Romans 12, if you would. Romans 12 is just an amazing passage. As I mentioned, these passages, we're, we're going through them quickly today, but we spent weeks on Romans 12, 9 to 21. And it's real easy to do. And the, the notes, everything is up on the, uh, the web. If you want to go through it, spend more time on it. But Romans 12 is one of those passages that starts off about presenting your body a living holy sacrifice. That's what we're called to do. And then it goes on and says that there's certain gifts that we've been given in order to function properly. And then when you get to 12.9, it says, The love is without hypocrisy. That New American Standard got fancy on the translation. They translated it like a command. And they translated it, let love be without hypocrisy. But that is not what the Greek says. It says, hey agape anupokrites, which is the love without hypocrisy. And that's simple. It's as strong as you can say it. And it's in the form of, a, of an implied command almost. But it is saying as clearly as you can say it, that the love, the one that we should seek, number one, should be without hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy means to put on a false face. We get actors from that. The uh, hypocrites are actually actors. And, of course, there's some people that make a lot of money acting, and there's other people that just uh, play at it. And um, uh, nothing can separate us from God's love. That's point F. On 15. I fixed all these. Where are they? I didn't fix all these. Dad, gum it. All right, forget this. I fixed them Monday. 
last week. I thought, I'm not going to let that slide. Too bad. Point F. <laughs> Romans chapter on point 15. Okay, you've got that on the handout, don't you? Well, at least I fixed part of it. <laughs> the love without, hypocr- without hypocrisy. Unhypocritical love. That's what we are, that's what we're called to have. Because love is uh, faked a lot of times. And the world's got a whole system of counterfeits and false ideas of love. But the one we're looking for is the one that when we sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, there's not, there's not any hypocrisy at all. It is a true part of who we are. That's where we want to be. And then it starts giving us definitions and understanding and further understanding of this love that it's talking about. The hey agape, it says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Okay, That requires some discernment, right? It requires discernment. Then it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. See how the two connect? The love, i.e. for God. But you want to really love God without hypocrisy? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's an important principle. And uh, we, we, we work with missionaries all over the world. And the missionaries that have so little are so giving. And what they have, they take and share. We actually had a missionary that we said, we're going to send you some money for Christmas for you and your family. Don't spend it on anybody else. <laughs> because... We did that the first time, and they said, oh, we went out and got some tracks printed and went house to house, and we did all these other things. And we said, now this is for you and your family, okay? We'll deal with the other things that you want to do. We're glad to do that. But they're giving people. They're very giving people. And sometimes you're faced with a situation of you have X amount of resources, and you have two people in need, and one is a believer and the other is an unbeliever. So who do you help? You help the believer. That's found here. Preference to one another in honor. First Timothy 5, the same thing. So you find the principle taught more than once. You help the believer who is in need. Now, <clears throat> it's not that you don't care about the other one, but the resources only go this far. Who do you help? You help the brother or sister in Christ. Not lagging behind in diligence. That word popped up again, isn't it? Peter uses that word. He says, fervent in spirit and serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering, what, that word again? Didn't we just see that word? Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. These are outgrowths and these are expressions of love because God has told us to do all these things. Bless those who persecute you. Boy, that could have done without been done without writing, couldn't it? What's a real test of love? You speak a good word, that's bless. Bless that doesn't just mean God bless you and go on. It's speak a good word towards somebody. That's what bless means. And he says, bless those that persecute you. Wow. And, of course, we've got tons of stories on that of missionaries uh, actually getting beaten up and cast outside of the village, much like 
happened to Paul and some of the others recorded in Scripture. Similar, very similar thing. And, and what do they do? They get well and they go back into the village. And they go back into the village with the good news. And they're blessing those who have persecuted them. And it says, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Have an empathy, have a relationship with, with one another. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind. That's one of the things God keeps hammering us on. Is when we start thinking we're better than everybody else, we have a problem. We may have a little more of this or a little more of that than other people have. But it's not to make us arrogant. It's instead to make us humble. And realize how much we've been blessed. It says, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, the New Testament, the Old Testament especially knows it, but the New Testament realizes that there's a time for war and a time for peace. But you're not, you're not to be the one that is doing the wrong that is leading to the problem. We're the ones that should be doing right. And if there is a conflict, it's because we're doing right. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. Because it is written, vengeance is mine. Capital M belongs to the Lord. I will repay, promise. See, isn't that, that what happens when somebody is wronging you and persecuting you and all that? You pray for them, but you also realize it's not up to you to take your own vengeance because the Lord will do it the right way, the right time. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Hmm. Now, obviously, if he's pointing a gun at you, maybe that's not the best course of action. To take. But what it's saying is look for the good. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. But the greatest love is one who will lay down his life for his enemies. And that's what the Lord did for us. He says, in so doing, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. Do not, verse 21, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's part of why we're going through this section of Scripture and the times in which we live. How are we supposed to live in a world that is decaying, becoming more and more decadent on a, on a daily, hourly basis? How do we live? We are to be the ones that are carrying the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're the ones that are to be living in honor. When everybody else is lying, cheating, and stealing everything else, we are the ones walking the straight line with that which is right. That is the truth that Christians are supposed to carry. We're not supposed to play the game of the world. We're not supposed to, to do that. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't join, don't join in. Don't become a part of it. But... Overcome evil with good. Now does what I, what I do. Is that going to overcome. All evil. Not hardly. Can't be naive. And think that. <clears throat> but what happened if the church. Got rid of its idea. About who's the most powerful. 
and who's who's the biggest dog in the in the park and realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is and what if we decided we were going to take the good news to a lost and dying world in its true form what would happen well the Lord knows that he also knows in this generation it's not going to happen not that it couldn't happen because it can but that it's not going to happen because all men's hearts become only evil continually remember when that was said Genesis chapter 6 also Revelation chapter 18 two places that was said one at the flood and the other was about prophetical Babylon now <clears throat> we should permit his love point G to control us we should permit his love to control us. And this, I, I think I got that changed. Second Corinthians. Okay. <laughs> it was a long week. <laughs> Can I say? Turn to Second Corinthians 5 with me, if you would, in verse 14. Here's Paul. He is writing to a bunch of uh, people that were and still a, just a little better. There were a bunch of screwballs put together under one roof. The Corinthian church was an absolute mess. And he's writing 2 Corinthians because there's been changes. They took 1 Corinthians with all of his admonitions, his warnings, his exhortations to love, to get their act together, to get back to the, the importance of the resurrection of Christ, and then to, to restore them. And 2 Corinthians is written for that purpose. And when he gets to chapter 5, he says, for the love, verse 14 says, the love of Christ controls us. Here is love once again. So here's our word love. It's used over a hundred times in, in the New Testament. So it's a major topic. And here it is again. And look at the, the major passages that it shows up in and the what it means within those passages. The love of Christ controls us now having concluded this that one died for all therefore all died see if all didn't die he didn't need to die for all right and he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves he died for me so my life becomes his is what it's basically saying but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So we're not supposed to live for ourselves, for the fame, fortune, power, and pleasure of man. We live for him. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Now that's interesting. That's just a simple application of what the Lord was talking to the Pharisees about and the disciples about the week before the cross with Matthew 23 and many other passages. Who, who are you? Well, <clears throat> uh, let no man be called rabbi or teacher. There, it's interesting about the titles we get and we hang on to and we cling to. He says it's not about the titles they hold. That's what he's saying. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, how do you get there? Through the faith, in the object of faith, you enter into union with Christ. It's called positional truth. 
He is a new creature. In Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Now, it doesn't mean that your sin nature is gone. What it does mean is that its power is broken. And you can really choose now whether or not to live for yourself or to live for Christ. That choice is, is there. We have been set free. It's much like a person in a prison and, and somebody walks in and says, Hey, the, the president has signed your pardon. Cells open. Walk out of here. And some people go, Oh, no, he didn't. He really didn't give me a pardon. And they'll stay in that prison the rest of their life. But they're free. They've been set free. You've got to walk out of the prison. It's a slave market of sin that we are born into. So we have to walk out of it and decide to. A new creation, the old things have passed away. New things have come. These are new opportunities. You don't need to seek fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. You already have it. Everything you could ever possibly want to have for life and godliness, you have as a believer in Christ. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now reconciliation means to take from a position of hostility to a position of peace. We think of reconcile quite often as it regards relationships. Whenever there are relationships that are on the rocks then the reconciliation brings about peace. The uh, peace offering itself under the Mosaic system was designed to portray reconciliation, our reconciliation to God, the establishment of peace. That's what it was designed for. But guess what he gave to us? The ministry of reconciliation. So did God give you a ministry? Yes. What's its overriding principle? Reconciliation of what? Other people to God. Okay? Because they're enemies just like you once were if they are not believers in Jesus Christ. We're also taught, like in James, along about chapter 3, if I remember right, is that we can, we can walk as enemies. We can become, believers can become like enemies of Christ. We're not walking as we should be. We're not his enemies all over again because the argument is why walk like that when you're not anymore? You're on his side. Don't, don't go after him. A ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's called, that's the covering or atonement. He just covered the sins until they were all paid for. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, I love this, this passage. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's a conclusion that he draws. You and I, believers in Jesus Christ, even the goofy Corinthians who had made a turnaround were an ambassador for Christ. Now what's an ambassador? An ambassador is one who takes a message from, a higher, from one party to another party. Ours is the highest authority that there is in the universe. And he says, I want you to take the gospel of peace out into the whole world. We are an ambassador for that. And as ambassadors, it makes sense to me, and I, I've had the conversation before with other pastors, 
why would we want to do anything to detract from the message that we're supposed to take? Do we have a freedom in Christ? Absolutely, we have a freedom in Christ. Can we get goofy like the world? Yes, we can. But we should not want to do that. That shouldn't be who we are. And he says, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The Corinthians are still not where they need to be. They have made changes. They had the... Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, the incestuous Corinthian had repented. He had come back, and now they didn't know exactly what to do. Remember, Paul said, get him out of there. Okay, And then there had been changes made. And so what do they do? And he's saying you need to accept him back. You don't want to bring excessive sorrow on the one who has done that. They, What is our ministry? Reconciliation. Now, if if Christians could remember that, and we were using the standards for peace, God's standards, and not some legalisms or traditions or all these other things, then we ought to be able to get along. And he says, he made him, and this is a powerful verse, he made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, in our place, as our substitute. Wow. That is the imputation of all the sins of the human race to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Hebrews 10 talks about it. One sacrifice for sin for all time. He who knew no sin, the sinless, perfect sacrifice, he made him to be sin. He imputed the sins to him on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, we are righteous. He has given us his righteousness. So the argument here is, since we've been given the righteousness of Christ, we need to live that way. Another argument is, <laughs> because righteousness involves standards. Inherently involves standards. What is the foremost standard of righteousness? Love. The love of God, the love of one another. Foremost standards. Well, some people think that they can be righteous and live a righteous life, uh, phase two righteous life. They can live that righteous life, and they don't have to love their brother. Excuse me. How does that fit? It does not fit the New Testament, for sure. Now, <clears throat> this love, point H, is displayed through sacrifice. This love is displayed through sacrifice. From 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And this, this is a, a powerful message that John has. And one thing about John is he just states it very clearly. <laughs> There's, that, that's part of why they start beginning Greek students out in 1 John. It's the simplest Greek in the New Testament. And they start them out in 1 John. It's not necessarily easy to interpret, but it is easy to understand what he is saying. And look at this. We know love by this. How do we know love? That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Okay? Whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? What a question. 
Is it really a part of who you are? 1 John, we went through back several years ago. 1 John is quite an interesting book. And as you go through 1 John, you find that there are five pieces of relationships. And it, it's a, a part of it. God has called us to be relational creatures. What was not good about the garden? Man being alone. What did he make? A woman, so that they could have a relationship. And out of that relationship could produce other uh, youngsters and populate the earth. That's what they were called to do based on relationship. So he's called us to have this, this relationship with other people. And so many times we just don't care anything about it. We should want a good relationship with everybody. So much as it depends on us. That's what we should desire. As an ambassador, that was the last verse that we there. And how does the love of God abide in him? That's a, that's a good question. The point is, you can't help everybody. I had a gentleman one time. Uh, we were visiting about support for missionaries and stuff, and it was a real bad time, and, and the finances were way down. It was back... I back when the, the, the last depression hit. <laughs> and what are we going to do? And one of the comments that was made by somebody that should know better is, well, Jesus said the poor you have with you always. So he was saying just cut them off. Cut off these missionaries. Let them fend for themselves. God will take care of them. God will take care of them. No argument, no question about that. But he didn't finish the verse. The poor you have with you always. You can always do good for them. But you do not always have me. There was a difference. In that first century. The poor you have with you always. As I said. Judas said, well, why didn't we just take this, this perfume that she just poured all over your feet and head and all this other stuff and sell it and give it to the poor? That's the context. Judas was a lover of money. Judas was greedy. And that becomes very obvious what it was. And when Jesus made that statement, he explained it. The poor you have with you always, but you don't always have me. And you can always do good to them, as God has provided the resources to be able to do that. Second Corinthians also says that in chapter 8 and 9, it's acceptable to give out of what you have, not what you don't have. So if you don't have it, you don't have it. No obligation there. But what you do have, consider sharing. So we should permit his love to control us. His love is displayed through sacrifice. And the point I, loving God and loving our neighbor, is the fulfillment of the law. Simple verse, Romans 13:10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. I think that didn't hit the Jews right between the face, right between the eyes. They were so much trying to keep up with all the the laws that were going on, thinking that keeping the law would save them. But he said, if you're really fulfilling the law, it's all about doing no wrong to a neighbor. Simple terms that it's put in. Point J is the spirit love guide, 
Spirit's love guides us to pray for other believers. The love that, see, we're in Christ who is love. The Holy Spirit is in us who is love. And Romans 15, 13 says, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Prayer is the most powerful weapon that God has given to human beings. Being able to pray for one another. And it's, it's so neat. I know sometimes I feel like I send out a lot of emails through the course of the week. And it's all about pray for. Pray for. Pray for. And sometimes I just get one sent out. And then another request comes in. <laughs> and then they get back to back. And I keep thinking AOL is going to shut me off because they have tried before. And so if, if uh, you're on the normal mailing list, you're not getting any. Look in the spam folder because you probably, since it is AOL, they tend to <laughs> uh, Gmail and all that. So, oh, that's spam. That's all spam. We don't use an AOL. We want them using Gmail. So, but when you get those requests for prayer, that's because somebody has thought enough and humbled themselves enough to ask for prayer from the body. And over the course of the last 30 years that we have been here, we have seen some amazing answers to prayer. Sometimes they're yes and sometimes they're no. But we see God working in that way. Part of what we're talking about is encouraging one another and the importance of meeting together with one another. We can't always meet together in this setting. In the, in the setting of the local church. That is the ideal. That's the ideal thing to do. Is to meet together in the setting of the local church. But sometimes it's just not possible. Sometimes physical limitations. There's different things that happen. If someone needs money for gasoline to come to church. Let us know. My land. That's, that's an easy thing to do. And just... Let one of the deacons know very subtly, and, and uh, that's something that can be helped out real, real quick. But we're, we're, we need interaction with one another. And you know what's going to happen interacting with other people? You're not going to like some of them. And some of them are not going to like you. <laughs> and what are we called to do? Figure it out. <laughs> okay? But even long-distance relationships, there is no reason for a person in this culture, in this society, in this time frame, not to be able to stay in touch with people. There's just no reason for it. We've got every way imaginable under the sun. I could take my phone right now, hit a button, and talk to India for free. That fast. Do we stay in touch? We need to stay in touch with one another. And so that's that's part of what we do. The love, do we, do we love other people? Do we think about other people? Do we pray for other people? That's one of the greatest expressions of love. Point K, what really matters in the Christian faith is, uh, the Christian life is faith working through love. Galatians 5. What really matters in the Christian life is faith working through love. Now, God's not going to answer the way we want every prayer we send up. And so we need to learn, as the Lord said, if it be your will. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
He's talking about the cross. No normal human in their right mind would want to go to a cross. And he says, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. That's what we need to learn to say. And say it without hypocrisy. See, we Christians learn the right vocabulary from time to time. And we think because we got the vocabulary down that we're really doing good. We learn to say the right things at the right time, the right moment. We should do that. But sometimes it's hypocritically done. That's not what we need. We need real, authentic relationships. Galatians 5. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. This is all the legalisms that he's dealing with and in uh, Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And then he says, these things don't mean anything. What does mean something? Faith working through love. And then he asks the Galatians, point blank, you were running well. You're doing a good job. You got started well with the right gospel. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It's an interesting question. When you get this who question in, in the Bible, not every time, but frequently, uh, who told you you were naked? What's the answer to that one? <laughs> the serpent in the garden. <laughs> Quite frequently when you find a, a question just hanging out in the middle of nowhere, guess who the answer is? It's the devil himself. Now, how did he do it? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It may have been one of his minions or his agents or his, uh, what do they call those things? Um, uh, they have a term terminology for it they use in spycraft. I'm sure we've all seen enough stuff and it's unwilling or it's a willing accomplices or something. It'll come to me. Tonight about midnight. Anyway. <laughs> what are some of the attacks on his love? The first one is lawlessness. What attacks his love? First one is lawlessness. Point L1. Now lawlessness is an abuse of grace. It may be unconscious or conscious, but it's an abuse of grace. Matthew 24, see, one of the characteristics of the last days is that lawlessness will increase and most people's love will grow cold. If love does not carry an element of warmth within it, then why is it a problem when it grows cold? Element's got an area, an element of warmth to it. So it's not just a clinical type of love for one another we're talking about. Agape is a love that has the standards that go with it. But it's not just that clinical type of love. Because if it grows cold, there's indicates there's a warmth side of it. And it says most people's love will grow cold. We become so immune and so scar tissue to other pe to, to to wrong we don't even see it. We've we've all seen it on the increase it's amazing we've had riots again here and 
it looks like that uh, those police officers, I don't know what got into their heads. That was what happened just wrong. It was just, just wrong. But they've been charged. Hopefully they're held to account. Because that's not for anybody to do. Nobody's got that kind of authority to take another life apart from, if you will, due process of law. And that certainly wasn't it. Now, but do two wrongs make a right? So what do you do about these other things? You know, burn everything down? Some people said, let's go burn it all down. No. No, you fix the problem. You fix the problem. Because when you burn it down, a legal system that's been set up here in the United States, it's got its elements of corruption. Nobody's arguing with that. You, you fix the system. You don't throw it out because I can tell you exactly what happens when you throw it out. You get communist Marxism in its place. You do away with the local police officers and you put in a national police force. That's what happens. So I believe that's what's underlying uh, some of the, the cries to defund the police and things like that. That is absolute stupidity to do something like that, in my opinion. I'll add that on there. But <clears throat> lawlessness? Oh, let's see. Well, you can't, if you steal a th- under $1,000 out of a store, it's no problem. Excuse me. Uh, it's off limits to the Ten Commandments without even any financial amount put on it. But are they going to ring this stuff up on the cash register on the way out the door and just not pay for it? So they'll know if they're under $1,000. You've seen people going in and putting garbage bags full, just taking taking things off the shelves and carrying them all out. No charges. Or they get charged and they, they're let out before the police can finish the paperwork. That is lawlessness. You call it anything else you want to call it. That is lawlessness. Matthew 24. At that time many will fall away and deliver up one another and they'll hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Saved from what? Phase 2. Phase two is saved from a lack of love. He's talking about it's a tribulational passage, and I'm not going to go through all the prophecy that goes, goes with that. But this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come, the end of the dispensation of Israel. So guess what? It's going to go through the whole world. How are we doing well, it's a lot farther than it was in the first century. But there are still people, uh, Thomas Samuel, one of our missionaries, said there's still people in uh, uh, India and in villages that think Jesus Christ is a new brand of cigarette. So there's still people that don't know who he is, have never heard about him. So we need to keep, keep the gospel going. You want the rapture to get here quicker? Keep giving the gospel. Keep giving the gospel. The second one is legalism. First one is lawlessness. That attacks love. Second one is legalism. Luke 11, 42. Because, see, the Pharisees tended to disregard God's love. They wanted more of a, uh, 
It wasn't quite stoic. It was very emotional, but yet the emotions were uncontrolled. That was part of the problem. Whenever the Lord saw the, the Jews weeping over the death of Lazarus, it says, and Jesus wept. He, wasn't, he went there to raise him from the dead. Why was he weeping? Because they were weeping as those who had no hope. And as Christians, that's not the way we're supposed to weep. Woe to you Pharisees! You pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Look at that. They take mint. They take the mint off, and then they spread it out, and a tenth of it goes so they can keep their dutiful uh, 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 reliance on the Lord and hopefully get something good back out of him. That's, that's the manipulation. That's hypocritical, and the Lord sees right through it. Legalism. The next thing, or third thing, is the world. Now, 1 John 2.15, see, the world wants you to love it. Now, where is the world right now? They're winning. Isn't it amazing how we have people who love the environment more than they love one another? The love of nature has always been a religion. When you think about it, Hinduism goes back before the time of Christ. Buddha, that temple in, in uh, Burma, uh, the Shui Dagon was built 500 years before Christ. And those people worship nature. That's, who, that's what Buddhists do. They worship the planet. Now, you know, love the world? There's a lot of ways to love the world without worshiping the planet. 1 John 2.15, John added again, Do not love the world. Okay, if you misunderstand it up to this point, 50 years into the church age, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You want to measure how much do I love God? How much do you love this stuff? How, what makes more sense in your life? What do you live your life for? These things that we can accumulate? Or the Lord? And the last one, fourth one, is intellectualism. In John chapter 5, here he is at it again. I came out of seminary and thought I was pretty smart. Like most people that go through seminary, they come out and think they have all the answers, and then they find out pretty quick they don't. And I kept running into this passage. Teaching the Gospel of John, one of the first things you do as a pastor, you try to teach through the Gospel of John. And I had been taught about, I had fallen in love with the Word of God. That was good. I wanted to know every part about it. I wanted to know how to do the Greek and the Hebrew and Aramaic for myself. I studied, I learned, I applied, and that's what I did. But I somehow thought that that was an end in itself. Because it was all about the notes, and it was all about the notebooks. It was all about how much knowledge that I could gain. And then you run into a passage like this. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them, the scriptures, you have eternal life. 
It is these scriptures that testify about me, capital M. And you are unwilling to come to me so you may have life. He is the life. The scriptures tell us where to go for the object of the faith that can produce eternal life in us. But the scriptures themselves don't impart the eternal life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you. And this is the Lord speaking to the Pharisees. You do not have the love of God in yourselves. Wow. These are guys that should have known it. These are guys that should have have basked in the love of God. They should have seen the love of God sustain Israel through all the ups and downs that they had over the course of their history. And what did they think? They thought they knew it all. And their intellectualism, they thought they knew it all. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But these scriptures bear witness of me. And if you miss me, you've missed the point. And that's the way Jesus left it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, once again, for your word, and especially about your love for us, and the love that we're supposed to have back for you and for one another. And I pray, Father, that our pursuit would indeed be an unhypocritical love for you and one another. I pray that this would let us be the disciples that you have called us to be, and that we would be your ambassadors to the remotest ends of the earth. Let us carry this message of light uh, everywhere we go. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.